yeah, it was exciting. It was challenging. It was difficult. It was beautiful. It was, you know, made me feel uh, alive more than anything else in my real life. I wasn't doing this for money. I didn't have a quota. I wasn't getting paid for it. So I didn't have a quota. So for me, it wasn't a question of how many people went. It was a question that I wanted everybody in this group to know what they were getting themselves into. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. And today's guest is Warren Doyle. Warren has hiked the Appalachian Trail, which is a trail in the United States of America covering a distance of over 2,000 miles. Warren has hiked the trail 18 times. Nine through hikes, which means from start to end continuously without a break, and nine section hikes, going to a part of the trail, hiking, coming back, and then redoing another part of the trail at a later stage. Warren did his first through hike in 1973 and set the record. That's almost 50 years ago. And Warren has stayed active and engaged with the Appalachian Trail, probably more so um, than anyone else in history. Uh, In many ways, he educates people about the Appalachian Trail and the mental fortitude it takes to get through um, an an adventure like this. Um, Also, Warren more recently, in fact this year, supported Liz Anjos, who I interviewed back in a previous episode, so go and look for Liz's interview, um, to, to setting a new northbound, because you can go north or south, a new northbound fastest known time for the um, supported female. And Warren's very proud of not being late once in over 400 meets on the trail to meet Liz. So uh, guys, it's an epic uh, interview which lasted two hours. So I've split it into two parts. The first part is an hour, which you'll hear after my introduction. And then the next second part will be released next week. Um, Also, I'd just like to mention if anyone finds value in my podcasts, I've been doing them for a couple of months now. Um, I myself, I'm going for an attempt on the Appalachian Trail. I've created a GoFundMe. Go and visit my website, www.christianultra.com. That's Christian with a K and ultra as in ultramarathon.com. And go and visit my GoFundMe page. Make a contribution or don't. Um, Maybe just share the podcast with a friend. Um, And also anyone interested in online run coaching, go to the same website. In fact, I'll put the website in the show notes along with Warren's um, contact details. And then finally, um, I'd just like to give a shout out to Mountain Laurel Designs, who kindly sent me the same bivy that um, String Bean, Joe McConaughey, another um, previous guest on the Christian Ultra podcast. Uh, Go back and listen to Joe. Joe holds the northbound uh, over or even the overall self-supported record on the Appalachian Trail. So they sent me his bivy to test out and... I haven't tested it out yet. <laughs> it's really cold outside, but I'll definitely um, give a review on that when I do. So without further ado, guys, please enjoy my conversation and talk with Warren Doyle. All right, Warren, um, thanks for accepting my invitation to come onto the, the podcast. I'm really excited to hear about your, in, your history with the Appalachian Trail. Um, so... 
first of all, could you just uh, state your age, where you were born, where you grew up, and then when you first heard about the or first acknowledged the Appalachian Trail? Okay, uh, my name is Warren Doyle. <clears throat> I don't have a trail name. Uh, I was born in 1950, which makes me 70 years old. I'm a 70 year old with an underlying condition, and that's a healthy dose of skepticism about what's <laughs> happening in the world. Um, and I first, uh, you know, I was born in Connecticut, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is in New England, Southern New England. And uh, I think my first real experience with the Appalachian Trail was when I was 18 years old. It was the summer after my first year at college. And uh, a friend of mine asked me to go along on an overnight trip up into the White Mountains in New Hampshire. And that was the first time that summer of 1970, 1968 was the first time that I was moved by the uh, beauty of the Appalachian Trail. So that's uh, 18 minus 50. That's 52 years ago. 50, that's so I've, I've had a 52 year uh, love relationship with the Appalachian Trail. That's a good place to start. I, I really want to start at the beginning. And so this friend of yours and this trip, were they friends from um, a, a, some kind of form of education and how long? High school, you know, uh, yeah. friend that lived, you know, childhood friend. And uh, we went to high school together. We're in the same class. And then he went off to college at one other a different college. And I went to another college. And it was the following summer after our first year in college that he, he invited me to go along on this sort of backpacking trip. And um, was it like uh, like a, an overnight trip? Did you guys get to actually camp out on the trail? Yeah, well, well, that was the plan. And of course, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, everyone has to start somewhere. So we were going up above Timberline and all I had was a duffel bag that I carried on my shoulder like this, like this big bag. And it was filled with all this stuff. And I remember trying to cross my first stream and slipping on a log and falling into the stream and everything getting really wet because it was just like denim material and covered, you know, carrying this really soggy bag up above timberline. When I think of it, I go, wow, that was something else. <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was doing. But you know, there was something about that trip that just hooked you. I mean, oh yeah. You, what, what, what was the, what, what was it? Maybe not exactly. Well, I'd never been above timberline before and okay. you know, the ruggedness of it all, the, vastness of it all, the wildness of it all, uh, you know, the freedom I experienced. Uh, yeah, it was exciting. It was challenging. It was difficult. It was beautiful. It was, you know, made me feel uh, alive more than anything else in my real life. Yeah. And then, so after this first trip, did you well, actually, let's go back. Before this first trip, you'd not heard of the Appalachian Trail. And did you, when your friend told you about this, did you think, okay, let's have a, a well, I guess there was no internet back then. Did you have a bit of a, a study of what it was or did that come afterwards? Well, I, you know, I, <clears throat> you know, I wanted to find out where the White Mountains were, looked at maps and stuff. I mean, I had done hiking before, but they were all 
state trails, you know, blue blaze trails. And so this white blaze trail, you know, intrigued me. And of course, you know, to be on a trail that you know that if you head one way, you go already to Georgia and you head the other way, you go already up to Maine. It was like, you know, it was the longest continuously marked footpath in the world at the time. So, you know, it was like, this is pretty neat. Yeah. That there's a trail like this. And then um, <laughs> how long was it? And what was your next uh, visit uh, to the AT? Yeah. Well, we, you know, we were supposed to do the traverse of the presidentials, you know, so we went over Mount Madison and, you know, we just slept outside by some propane tanks, you know, outside of the hut. Back then there wasn't as many hikers as there were. So there really weren't as many regulations. And, uh, but, you know, the, the guy I was with had enough after just that one day, I guess he didn't sleep well. And so we went all the way back down to the campground and I was a little disappointed, but you know, he was the one that invited me. And that evening when we were down there, this guy comes by and said he was going to go back up, uh, up the mountain and he wanted someone to be with him just for safety reasons. So I quickly volunteered and, uh, while my friend just stayed down in the campground all day, I went back up the uh, same mountain because I, I wanted to experience that feeling again. Of course, this time I didn't have my big old uh, duffel bag on my shoulder because it was just going to be a day hike. So I went back up. And after that, uh, I decided that uh, I would hike. I would spend about a week just on my own before school started in September and I would go out, you know, after my summer job was over, I'd go out and hike and use that time to, you know, look back at the summer, uh, to look ahead to the fall, the new school year to, you know, uh, set goals and so forth, what sort of goals I had. And then when I, after every year from then on, after undergraduate, when I got out of school in early June, I would go out in June and hike for about a week to so they, I had two weeks of hiking a year to give me the time to, you know, reflect back on the previous months and to uh, have time to plan goals for the road ahead. And so I did that for about four years, about two weeks a year. But, you know, I was in rough, rough territory, you know, the White Mountains, the Adirondacks. So I really cut my teeth backpacking in some of the roughest trails that America can offer. And, um, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, then I had another friend, uh, ex-Army guy, that uh, asked me if he wanted to backpack the long trail. And this was in 1972. So this was like, you know, four years later. And I said, okay. And so that was when I had went really on my first purposeful uh, long distance trail, you know, walking from border to border from Massachusetts to Canada on the, you know, 273 miles of the long trail and it had shelters and stuff. And, and so we walked that and I uh, saw, so I got my first taste of how would I say purposeful long distance hiking where you set yourself a goal and you either do it or you don't do it. And so it was a challenge and I still made a lot of mistakes. I still didn't know really what I was doing, but that enabled me to think about 
well, maybe I will do the Appalachian Trail, the, the, the whole thing. So I had this four year, four years of two weeks a year backpacking through some really tough territory. And then I had about a 14, 11, 11 day experience on the, uh, I'm sorry, 13 day experience on the long trail in the summer of 1972, where I decided that uh, maybe it wouldn't be a waste of my time to try the Appalachian Trail because I didn't want to spend, you know, several months doing something that I was going to fail in, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to waste my time or money. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have to have some uh, feeling that I can do this. I can do this. And, and so, uh, well, just firstly about your friend, I guess your friend, the, the one from the army, they made it through that 13 day long trail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah, we made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> and then also with that being the, um, you know, the decision maker for you to actually go for the Appalachian trail entirely, had you then started to look at, uh, I guess resources were, well, not as available as today, but were you aware of people who had done the entire trail? Um, oh, yeah. Back then? Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't think I really didn't meet anybody per se that had done the whole trail, but I read books and, you know, uh, Ed Gary's book had come out and, you know, I studied, you know, I, I certainly uh, studied before I left because that's part of your preparation. Yeah. You know, I was a I was a student. I enjoyed learning, so I really did a lot of studying. Uh, I knew this wasn't going to happen by luck or by chance. That that you know, there's always going to be accidents on the trail, but there's a lot of things that can happen on the trail that aren't good just because of a lack of preparation. You know, and mm. and so. Uh, and, and that first book that you mentioned was that the first full book that you actually read about someone's journey and and who oh no 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 there, there were several there was the rodell volume volume ones and two of pretty much all the people who threw hiked the trail up to about 1971 1972 yeah so that was that book probably has about 30 narratives in it very good yeah uh a very good book and then there was you know uh uh ed garvey's book adventure of a lifetime there and so there was the Aunt Myron and Ann Sutton book uh, on their hike on the Appalachian Trail. So there was books out there. You know, there was no internet or anything. Yeah. So, you know, I read and studied maps and uh, got all the guidebooks. And, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think the, the, the thing, the interesting thing is I had become an achiever, but I started to question the uh society i was achieving for you know i had my mentor i had met my mentor at the age of 21 who he was a poet and an activist you know appalachian fella tremendous he was like a caucasian uh, martin luther king matter of fact martin luther king read a lot of his poetry while martin luther king was a divinity student at boston university and so he was a remarkable man and he started uh giving me different dots to connect you know like when i was in school the teachers would give me dots you know like connect the dots and you form a picture mm. and and they gave me the freedom to connect these dots but the mm. picture that the dots made that i learned in school 
was the picture that the establishment wanted me to see, mm. you know, and which is understandable. I don't think it was malicious, but being with Don West, who was the most investigated Appalachian during the McCarthy period, who was, who was really, uh, to me, a modern day example of, you know, Jesus Christ as a social revolutionary, he started giving me dots to connect. The trail started giving me dots to connect. And, uh, you know, basically I wanted to find out whether this, these new dots, this new picture was more valuable to me than what I was learning in school, but I was an achiever. And so, uh, I started reading about walkabouts. I started reading about pilgrimages, you know, Siddhartha, Herman Hetz, Siddhartha, uh, <clears throat> Tennyson's, you know, to strive, to seek and not to yield you know, the Odyssey, the Iliad. And I started to read about these journeys of that demanded effort and courage and uh, that were hard. So when I did my first hike in 1973, that was my record uh, attempt. And I, I wanted to make it as hard as I could because I thought that if I made it really hard on myself, I really would get the truest picture of who I was. And, you know, fortunately, I survived my mistakes and, you know, I did set a record and that was sort of the first, how would I say modern record on the AT that was before the ultra marathoners and so forth, mm. uh, came to pass in 1991, you know, with David Horton. So there's a, there was a history of the trail in terms of endurance record from 1973 to 1991, that's 18 years. And during that 18 years, the records that were set, there weren't that many, were set by walkers. You know, the trail runners hadn't gotten onto the AT yet. The ultra marathon subculture hadn't, uh, didn't show up on the scene till, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me, let me get this. The door's knocking. One second, Warren. Uh, sure. there. One second. Can we just go back to the um, the fellow who you said got you to um, join different dots? What was his name? And Don you... West. Don, Don West. West. Yep. Okay. And did you get to meet him in person, or was it? Oh um... yeah, yeah. He was my mentor. I I volunteered at his folk school the summer after my senior year in college, and then I was his friend and uh, mentee for the last twenty two years of his life. And was he? I guess he was. I don't know, a couple of years older than you, because he his experience. Oh, he was old. He was. Yeah. He, he was uh, probably about forty years. Yeah. Forty, fifty years uh, older than me. About and, forty years. Yeah. Yeah, and and then you said then so you went for your first through hike and actually set the first kind That's of correct. record of the time in seven, and that was seventy one. Oh, it's 1973. 73, sorry, yeah. 73. And I was like 66 and a third days. So that, I mean, that's just like um, raises so many interesting that you'd, so the kind of hardship that you would have experienced during this, through, this 73 through hike would have been another level times 10, I guess, than your 
um, two weeks per year, and then your long oh, trail. Yeah. yeah. What, what, oh, for sure. What kept you going through those difficult times, which were many? Well, I was an achiever, you know, and uh, I went out to, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's, there's no growth without struggle. And, uh, you know, uh, there's no growth without struggle. And so I felt I needed this. I needed to uh, make it hard on myself. And I trusted the trail completely because the trail knows no prejudice or discrimination. And the trail is going to be really honest with me uh, about it wasn't a question of how much I could take, you know, like, oh, I'm going to take this. I'm going to conquer the trail, blah, blah, blah. I never was into that. You know, I've always maintained it's better to be a smart hiker than a strong hiker. And so I wanted to see how much I could give up, how much I could give up of my cultural conditioning uh, and you know, how much I could give up. And then, myself. and so um, did, did you, uh, I know there's an, appro- an approach trail or you can go to, where did you actually start? Did you start at the bottom of the approach trail or did you go? No, I've, I've never done the approach trail. You know, I've done 18 traverses of the AT, but I've never done the approach trail because well, I'm a white blazer. People quotes call us purists now, but I've always followed the white blazers out of respect for the people who maintain the uh, Appalachian Trail, you know, all the thousands and thousands of volunteers over the last several decades that one of the main reasons they were involved in the AT is they wanted to be involved in the longest continuously blazed trail. Mm. And so, I've never done the approach trail because it's not blazed white. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first approach to the 18, 1973 was from a, a gap, uh, really rugged road, about two and a half miles south of Springer Mountain. But most of the times now, of course, I just start from, you know, the road that's a mile from the summit. You know, you just mm-hmm. walk up to the summit, turn around and start hiking. So I, uh, I've never done the approach trail. Yeah. I, I also feel that you know now it's like it's unfortunate that the trail if you're going northbound ends in baxter state prison uh it's a very not a you know the mountain itself is beautiful but it's a shame that's in it's in a park like baxter state prison and it's just unfortunate that you have all this simple freedom yeah uh, almost the entire way and then you end up with this heavily restricted area and the approach trail, I feel, you know, people are pushing it for, I think, commercial reasons. The, uh, the state park, Amakiola State Park, they want your money. And uh, yeah, that's okay. one of the things that I'm, you know, I've always been against the commercialization, especially of the uh, outdoors. And so, you know, I, I visited Amakiola State Park for the first time just this past summer, mm. you know, when I was out with, uh, you know, doing support for Mercury, uh, it was the first time that I ever visited that park. And I said, man, I'm glad I've never started here because this is all <laughs> rules and regulations and come to this meeting and all this, yeah. no parking, don't park here, don't don't go here, go left, go right, do not enter. And I said, that's not a way to, to start this yeah. beautiful 2000 mile strand of, of freedom and simplicity. Like, 
I got you, man. I'm with you there. Um, so my, the Chamber of Commerce is not going to dictate my journey. Well, let's, let, let, let me ask you to go back that, to that day in 73. Um, can you remember what month it was? Who took you yeah. there? And yeah, what, it was uh, yeah. May, the, let's see, May the 29th. Okay. And, May the 29th, what, what, and, it, and they had some bad, bad rain down there. Uh, matter of fact, NOC and, and Wesser, the not the Halia, not the Halia Outdoor Center, almost got washed away after its first only being there for one year. Uh, the water level was up to the only building that was there. And they, if that water got any higher, they might not have even been an NOC in Wesser. But very, there's a mudslide on the on the road going up to the thing, and my my dad and my mom were driving me to the to the uh, place and we came to a place where a third of the road was washed away and you know just way down this embankment and my mom just freaked out uh and, you know, she, and so then you know i said oh wow you know and so she got out of the car and i said well you just wait here because i think the gap is going to be coming up and you know my dad was you know he was okay with driving through there but you know then i my whole first day, I couldn't really focus because I was concerned that if my parents were okay going down the mountain. Yeah. You know, so the whole first day when I should have been just focused on on this hike, and there's no way I could contact them. There's no cell phones or anything. The first pay phone was probably going to be 20 miles into the trail. And so my first concern was, trying to contact them to make sure they got down the mountain all right. And my first, one of my first stream crossings, the bridge had been washed away at Three Forks and it was raging. And, you know, back then I didn't know any better. I had these heavy hiking boots and I took my boots off so they wouldn't get wet. I would never do that now. And I threw one boot across and it just made it. It just made it across. I go, man, I better throw this boot, the next boot higher. So I flung it. I, flung it so high that it hit a branch and it fell right down <laughs> into the stream. And here I am trying to break a record and my boots floating down the stream, you know, through all this rhododendron and thing. And so I just took off my pack and jumped in. I'm going down the, you know, through all these rapids and stuff, trying to avoid hitting my head on the rhododendron branch. And then, you know, I, I got, finally got my boot, but then, you know, I was, you know, I, I had to get my pack. So that was crazy. <laughs> that does sound I mean that was you know like you know Harvey Lewis and uh these other people about starting in the rain that was that was the highest I ever seen three forks when I started in 1973 it was it was torrential and um then I, I know you prepared for this over a few years with the two weeks each year and then the long hike sorry the long trail through hike and then all the studying and the um investigating how about any kind of um specific physical did you do like hikes before this the big one you know the 73 through hike attempt yeah uh yeah that's a good question but no i'm i'm well off the normal bell curve there i mean i wasn't yeah i was in shape uh just from being active i was a drum major for a band for eight straight years as a high school college and even graduate students. So, so my legs and I caddied for my job, you know, carrying golf bags. You know, sometimes I'd have two golf bags and going up and down hills. You know, I was, so I was getting my exercise 
in a practical way, yeah. you know, and so my, my legs were always strong and, uh, I had good balance cause I enjoyed dancing and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it's different. You know, we're, we're born to walk. I think runners have to condition themselves more than walkers do because mm. we walk every day. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I know you love to run and, and it's good, but you don't run everywhere you go. Mm. I don't think. No, no. Well, so, we, so we, we're born to walk. We, yeah. I think we, and so my legs, I don't, yeah, I was going to let the, you know, and I read stories about the best conditioning is on the trail itself. Now, what I, I prepared sometimes physically in a psychological sense, I was a graduate student, right? I was in my doctoral studies. And uh, what I would do is like in February in some of the coldest, you know, it might be 10 degrees outside. And I would get in the shower in my dormitory and with all my clothes on and I turned the shower on uh, with cold water and then I would go to class and I'd walk across campus. I'd be all, you know, sopping wet sit, and I'm sitting in class and, you know, there's little puddles of water around my seat yeah. and, you know, to, and that's how I'd be for the entire day, you know, and uh, then the only really physical conditioning I did was going up and down the stairways of the dormitories about four flights of steps going up and down with a pack on and I remember sometimes it was just like I had to stop because I was getting the tra the the stairs wet with my sweat just dripping down you know on onto the steps I said well that should be enough now you know that that's some major like physical psychological training especially showering oh, yeah. yourself fully clothed and then going to class I mean that's yeah. Oh, uh, and, and because I wasn't a, you know, I, I, I would rate myself normal physically. Yeah. But the only thing that got me to break the record was my, was my temperament. And the three, you know, that, you know, there's three things that I think are vitally important. Uh, now, the, there's a physicality to break a record now, as you know, demands this physicality. It, it demands this physicality, but it still demands these three other uh, key things. And that's why there's a 75% failure rate on the AT for, you know, normal hikers, because people don't think about these things because there's no profit involved in it. You know, it's not a thing that you can be sold. Uh, and one is your level of comfort. What is your level of comfort? My comfort level enabled me to shower in cold water and walk out into 10 degree weather and stay like that all day because I needed to prepare for the works. I don't have to shower. You know, my concept of being clean is different. I can pretty much sleep anywhere. You know, I slept, you know, one of the nice things about this summer uh, uh, with Mercury, I slept on the ground each night. You know, she slept in the support man, but I just slept on the ground and I didn't even put up a tent or a tarp. Uh, if it was going to rain and stuff, I just laid down on a tarp on my seat pad and I, throw the tarp over me like I was a burrito, you know, it was a blue tarp. So I was a blueberry burrito and that's how I slept. And, uh, I don't, I don't believe in having to eat three meals a day. You know, you just you eat when you're hungry. Uh, it doesn't have to be breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Uh, I don't have to take a shower. I don't have to have hot water to feel clean. So, 
uh, this level of comfort is, is, you know, I was right on, I was right on that. And then uh, threshold of pain, you know, how much pain can you withstand? You know, if you read Jennifer's book, Pursuits of Endurance, all these successful endurance record holders know what type of pain they can walk through and know what kind of pain they can't walk through. They're very much in touch with their bodies. And then the last one is your temperament. And you know, I had a great temperament for the trail. It was like, uh, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be challenging. This is why I'm out here for. And so I was able to establish a very healthy relationship with the trail. The trail wasn't out there for me to conquer. The trail was uh, for me, for it to shape me in any way it saw fit. And I trusted whatever the trail did to me, I trusted its intentions and I wanted to be shaped that way. And when, when you, um, when you finally found out that your parents had survived the return drive down the mountain, um, oh, I, actually, how did you find out? How did you, I suppose your father and mother went and saw you further on was so no, no, they didn't. No, no. Yeah, no, they had to go because my dad was working and he had to go back. And so I think what it was is it was uh, later that day. I'm trying to think. Uh, trying to think. Maybe they made it home at the end by the end of the day, or uh, yeah, I don't know how, but I knew. Yeah, I found out that they were okay. I'd say within two days after I started. So was this a supported? Um... Originally, it wasn't. I was going to just hike on my own. I had a backpack, and and then I saw so I hiked about when I got to Petersburg, which is about six hundred miles, I guess. Uh, I got to, I went to Dairy Queen there and ate too much. And uh, I was staying, uh, this old guy, he was about over in his 90s. And most of his ear was off because of cancer. I always remember that. And he said I could sleep in his garage. I said, okay. And so I, you know, I ate a lot at Dairy Queen. And then, of course, I could sleep it off. Then the next morning, you know, I had still had this milk and a half gallon of ice, uh, orange juice. And, you know, I couldn't carry it with me and I needed the calories. So I drank both of them. I started walking across the New River Bridge and it was just like somebody had just gut punched me right in my gut as hard as possible. And it literally and figuratively immediately knocked the crap out of me. And, you know, sir, I am in the middle of this highway bridge on this narrow sidewalk with cars going off and there's all this brown stuff on my feet and oh man it was not good not good and so i walked back and there's, there's a motel there it's burnt down since and uh there's an italian woman there and she said you know i said i was going to check in you know and i guess i didn't look too good i didn't complain you know she called the ambulance and so next thing i know i'm in the back of an ambulance going to the hospital there in parisburg i said man, I wasn't expecting this, you know? Yeah. And so like the next, so later that day, you know, I said, well, there, there goes the record. And, uh, you know, and so I called up and I called up my parents and then I called up my fiance. And I was surprised that 
she said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought if anyone could do it, you could do it. And that sort of knocked me out of, you know, I was at a payphone. That sort of knocked me out of my cell phone, uh, my self pity. And it was like this movie, you know, like, you know, you're right. I can't do this. And I put the, put the phone back down and I walk out, I go into the motel and get my stuff. I go to return my key and the lady saying, where are you going? And, you know, uh, I said, I'm going to hike on. I got to do this. You know, I said, well, the people at the hospital told you you should rest like for at least two days, you know, so no, I have to go. And I'm, so I'm walking across the bridge and, you know, my crap was still there and, and you know, crying like crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's temperament. Yeah, that 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 must have been. It sounds like that was the 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 breaking point of no return, almost. You know. Well, so so what it was is, you know, my dad knew I had been in the hospital, and he had he was a toll collector, he was a working man. He never took vacation time for himself, so he had accumulated vacation. So he calls me up and say, "Hey, Warren, I could come down. I, you know, I got about you know four weeks of vacation. Would you like me to drive support for you?" And I said sure you know come on down and so he met me at troutville i had, so i'd done about the first 700 miles backpacking and he was with me already until we got to maine and then i did the last i don't know 260 miles backpacking but it was it was great because uh my dad you know i was first generation in college and uh i had loving parents uh but my dad since he didn't graduate from high school, he couldn't, he felt he couldn't help me anymore. You know, he didn't know what a semester was or credits or required courses or majors or minors. And I didn't hold it against him, but you know, I'm just thinking that, okay, here's this, a parent who can help you learn how to ride a bike, uh, can maybe teach you how to hunt or fish or play baseball or play basketball. But I was in a situation at 18 where I was doing things that he couldn't understand. And so he, he couldn't really help me. So here it was five years later and he came down and he was helping me. He was helping. Me. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm glad like Harvey, like son, it's a beautiful film. I went to see it. Beautiful film, uh, a father son, a father son yeah. relationship, you know. So that was um. um that so, was, that was good. That was like a golden opportunity for your dad to be of use, you know, in your early twenties, and yeah, and and yeah, that's nice. Yeah, um, very much so. Yeah, and so how about the finish? Like you've you've done this. Um, what what did it feel like? I mean, can you remember? Did you cry? Sure. Like to yeah. Stand up there. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh... I always, you know, back then there wasn't many people on the trail. So I did most of my walking alone. There was only one day that I hiked with people the entire time. And it was up in the hundred mile wilderness. It was right before Long Pond Stream. And I'm walking and I've been following the registers. And I come across these two young guys straight out of high school from Rome, Georgia, Lewis and Bruce. And they're, his watch had just fallen off and they're looking in the leaves for his watch. I come by and they go, are you Warren guy trying to set record? I said, I am. And, you know, they were all, ooh, ooh, ooh. And, and uh, said, oh, we want to make, can we walk with you? Can we walk with you? And I said, sure. You know, so they stopped looking for their watch 
and we hiked, you know, it was near the end of the day. So we hiked about eight miles together. And then the whole, uh, we walked, I fell behind them. They were young, young, young guys. They were just, they were something else, you know, they were something else. And, uh, but I, you know, they waited for me at the shelter and I pulled in. And then the next day, uh, they went on ahead. I said, look, it, I don't want to hold you up. But it was the first time they had, had done a 30 mile day, you know, so they thanked me that, oh, we always want to do a 30 mile day. And they gave, you know, and, but on, when we got to Katahdin, I didn't know it, but there's five other people finishing that day, including these two guys. And they waited on the summit until I finished. And yeah. on August the 3rd, 1973, there was six through hikers on top of Katahdin all finishing at the same time. And that was probably the most that ever happened up to that point in time, because there's so few of us. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was great. It was, uh, it was a release. It was a release from an ordeal. And the ordeal was uh, uh, of my own making. Yeah. You know, I, I, no I, one was putting this, no one was putting me through this ordeal it was just me yeah and so yeah. i finally got to a point at the age of 23 where i didn't have to prove m myself to anybody else ever that's a young age to accomplish yes it is you know that's something. the gift I, i'd lost all my emotional fat accumulated the first 23 years of my life and i've never put that back on that emotional fat so uh that's the only time i've I've done nine through hikes. That's the only one I've done alone. All my other ones have organizing groups of people to walk the trail, which is my biggest accomplishment. That's the accomplishment. Of course, you know, the, the record has been broken on and on and on as well as you know, but no one, no one will ever organize 10 groups to do the whole trail that we had. No one. And so if I know I love Shackleton, you know, he's, He's English, right? Shackleton, Sir Ernest Shackleton. Oh, yeah, yeah. I Endurance, think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's pretty amazing. He didn't lose anybody. Yeah. He didn't, and so I'd like to think that I'm the Shackleton of the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, it sounds... Well, let's start. Let's talk about that then. So you, you, you set the record. You bonded in a way with your father that wouldn't have happened without the AT. You... Um, then moving forward from then, what gave you, so you'd, you'd, con you'd also not conquered the trail, but almost um, saw eye to eye with it. What was, oh, the, yeah. Yeah. What, what was, how did you then progress to actually leading a, a through hike and how many people were on that first one and what year was it? Good. Good question. Well, yeah, I finished in August of 1973. I was a resident assistant at the university. I still had one more year my doctoral studies to do and we had an outing club uh but but better is interesting when i went back to the school uh the trail still had me in its grip i didn't walk normal for another four months you know although it was only 66 days the toll it took on my body it took about three or three or four months to walk normal it took about little less than a month to release the psychological grip of the trail where you actually woke up 
thinking that you didn't have to walk today. Mm-hmm. You know, like for the past, for the about four or five days after this record attempt was old, uh, over, you know, I, w- I would wake up with a sweat. I would think that I had to get up and start hiking. I'm late. I'm late. And then you come to realization, it's over. I did it. You know, I don't have to do this anymore. So, and, you know, when I went to the training, you know, for the resident assistants, going through the cafeteria, you know, it's trays. And, and you know, I'd get my tray. I, I remember getting my tray going down and it's all this food. And, and I just burst out crying. I was just sobbing that all this food was here. It was right there. And it was so easy yeah. to get to. And it was like a whole different comfort level. Whole, you know, you know, that's the comfort level that people are, you know. But at the end of that hike, I was I looked like a prisoner of war. Now it was my own captivity. But I looked like a prisoner of war. So, uh, and you know, light never seems brighter than somebody that's been in the darkness all their life. You know, a, a coal miner who works and never sees daylight, except on weekends, really appreciates the daylight. John Muir, temporary blinded with a, a piece of lead in his eye. Well, after he got, after he you know, got his sight back, he just took off because, you know, to see the things that he might not have seen if he was blinded. And uh, he had this tremendous appreciation of what's out there. And so, so I came back, we had an outing club. And so I, there was no way I wanted people to go through. I would, I've never recommended to anybody that they walk the Appalachian Trail, never. You know, that might be hard to believe, but I have never encouraged anybody to walk the Appalachian Trail because I don't want to be responsible for their pain and suffering. However, when I came back, we had an outing club, so I strung together eight hikes every Sunday, the first eight Sundays of the semester. And we would go out and drive an hour and a half to the Appalachian Trail in Connecticut. It was 56 miles. So we did that. The goal was to have a goal. I think it's important to have a goal was if you went on all eight hikes, you will have done the 56 miles. So if you do the math, you know, these were seven mile days, eight, nine mile days, pure recreational. And we had all we had, you know, uh, a dozen, two dozen people out all the time, all the time. And boy, did we have fun. I mean, obviously, most of the people I went on those trips were freshmen, so they needed a sense of community and camaraderie and so forth. And they were forming friendships. We had a great time uh, playing. Uh, and the last day, we're up on Lion's Head, and we're looking way down south. And and I was saying to them, I said, man, you can't even see where we started eight, you know, yeah. eight Sundays ago. And they go, wow, we walked all that way. And, and then one of them said, I wonder what it would be like to walk it all in one day. And, you know, the light bulb just went out in my mind. I go, whoa. I said, well, let's try it. And so the super hike was born. And, and we did that in the spring. This was a way that these people could still stay together. And the goal was to do 56 miles in 24 hours. That's how long the Connecticut section was. 56 yeah. miles in 24 hours. And uh, 
So we did planning and training and the people that couldn't do it became the support and the people that could do it. So we had like 12 people and we had probably about 15 people in support following it. And we started right at midnight and, the, and everybody finished. That was the first time we had a circle. That's because of Don West. First time we had a circle. And I asked people at the end about a month later to write what their experience was like for them. And it wasn't for grades or anything like that. And people, one guy typed up, this was before word processing, a 40 page evaluation. Wow. <laughs> he went on, yeah, so that's interesting. So, so it was incredible what people learned just from that 24 hour experience. And as a social change educator, I said, this is just as important to learn as what we're being taught in these academic subjects. This knowledge is going to serve them just as well. You know, the knowledge that you learn in college might serve your wallet, you know, your, you know, your money and stuff, but what they're learning on the trail is going to serve them in here and in, in their brain and, and their, how they view the world and so forth. So I said, wow, this is, this is a viable educational thing to do. And so I sat on those evaluations. Well, I mean, you know, and then in May, about a month later, about three weeks later, May of 1974, uh, the vision came and it was about a group of people and they're all walking. They weren't lockstep like some military group or Boy Scout group, but they're all along a ridge like Franconia Ridge and they're all connected. And they weren't just out for a day. They were doing the whole trail. And I said, I got to do this. I got to do this. So I dropped my uh, research grants, my dissertation topic. This had to be done. And so uh, that was the birth of the first expedition, 1975. 19 people, 19, mostly all students. Yeah. 19. The most people that had ever walked the whole trail before that together, we started together, finished together, maybe a group of two or a group of three. Yeah. Back then, it was a, a probably about a only a 20% success rate. All right. Yeah. We had, you know, because of my influence of Don West, who believes that human welfare is indivisible, we prepared for over two semesters. It, was, there wasn't, it wasn't a course or anything like that. But the expectation was everyone who starts will finish. 19 people started, all 19 people finished. That was historic. This was in 75. It was powerful, 1975. And who, so who organized that? I did. Yeah, okay, so. It was a labor of love. So you did the um, Sunday um, hikes yeah. over eight Sunday recreational hikes. Yeah, and then you did the super hike. Yes. Okay, and then, and then you decided to arrange the full through hike. That's that, correct. Okay, All right. and that was seventy five. Yeah. So, I mean, how it's hard enough to prepare for an individual through hike, but when you're leading, because you're the expedition leader, leading nineteen people. How did you bring people together to, to, I mean, how did you do that? What, how did you, how did you? Well, I, I, well first of all, you know, I had this, I had the 
uh, rep, you know, I was a record holder. I'd done the trail in 66 and third days. I wasn't doing it for a lot of publicity, but it was well publicized. So I had the name. I had the power of Don West's poetry behind me uh, and my own experiences. And back then, I was charismatic. And you know, I, you know, last, I'd say the last 15, 20 years, I'm just a grumpy old man. But back then, in my 20s, and 30s, and even my 40s, uh, in terms of what people said, I had this charisma about me. And I was able, you know, my dad referred to me as the Pied Piper of the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. You know, the Pied Piper with his music leading all the mice into the sea. Yeah. I was leading people to do the Appalachian Trail. And I had this ability to uh, excite people about the trail. Uh, yeah. And I'm an organizer. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I do attention to detail. I don't throw out curveballs. I'm consistent. Yeah. And I led by example back then. It wasn't until I, after I was 55, that my physical ability started to decline. Yeah. And then these, these were all students from where? University of Connecticut. Yep. Okay. And was there like a selection process or was it just whoever wants to come and feel they can? Yeah, well, we had a 20 day preparation period uh, for the college groups. It would be just spread over the fall and the spring. So we would meet, you know, we would meet maybe once every two weeks for logistics. And then we would have two, three day backpacks, even though we were going to be day hiking most of the time we went backpacking for three days, you know, doing 60 miles, you know, at least 60 miles, 20 miles a day. Yeah. And, and so we had four of those hikes and over the fall and the spring. And so people decided I didn't, I wasn't doing this for money. I didn't have a quota. I wasn't getting paid for it. So I didn't have a quota. So for me, it wasn't a question of how many people went. It was a question that I wanted everybody in this group to know what they were getting themselves into. Yeah because I don't want them to waste their time or money. And so the preparation period was incredibly realistic and it worked. You know, I had eight circle expeditions, eight out of the 10 expeditions were circle expeditions, which where one of the expectations was everyone who starts will finish. Out of those eight groups, seven of them had 100% completion rates. Yeah. That won't be ever duplicated either when you um what, what was the comparison between arriving at katahdin back in 73 with those other through hikers in, in comparison to arriving with 19 how was that different what was the sense of well how was it different yeah well you know someone asked me that what was the most a memorable thing about my hiking and i said i've i've had 18 memorable points when i finished my 18 traverses yeah i finished my nine section hikes were which were mostly alone but i remember my first wife was at one of them my first wife and my daughter was at another one my first wife and my daughter and son were at another one my 
second wife was at one at the end. Uh, sometimes I would finish, not many, but sometimes I would just finish alone. But the most powerful memories are finishing with these groups, uh, these unbroken circles. So I've had eight, I've had seven unbroken circles on top of Katan, where everyone who's standing here we formed a circle on Springer Mountain and everyone is still here. The circle is unbroken because how much it took to be there. Not just from myself, but from everyone else. How much it took for everyone to be there. What an accomplishment. Yeah. Did you find that during this these um circle expedition the circle through hikes different characters kind of took on different roles you know almost um as a as a as a small community um oh yeah well you know each group would have its own flavor because of the individuals involved some groups were more playful than others uh i would have to say you know i had eight circle expeditions and i would have to say seven of them gave me great fulfillment. It was really nice times, wonderful people. There was only one expedition where I felt used and exploited. Yeah. I don't mind being used. I, I don't want to be exploited. Yeah. I want to be used. I don't want to be exploited. Oh, that's so yeah, I had tremendous. And the last two expeditions in 2015, 2017 didn't have a, a a thing expectation that everyone who starts will finish but still the completion rate was incredible it was like one was a hundred percent you know it was like really something you know uh and you know i got all the you know I, there's been over a hundred i think about 108 people that have been on in the 10 groups and uh that's a lot of uh, shared experiences. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, you know, they, they say you can count your friends on one hand. Um, and I guess a friend is someone who you share experiences with. To share experiences with, with that, of that level with over 100 people is a real um, gift, I guess. Yeah. Well, so, so how about the what so what were the dates of those the first one was 76 did you say no, no it was 70 okay the the eight circle expeditions were as follows 1975 1977 and 1980 those were the college students okay those were the quotes university expeditions then my wife and i decided okay i'm going to get a real job although i had a job but i'm going to get a real job commensurate with my degrees and we're going to start raising a family. So the plan was, and you know, my first wife wasn't, was in the first expedition. She was, you know, she's done the super hike. So she knows, she knew the power of the circle and what it represented. So, you know, that was fine. Um, so I said, okay, uh, if the kids come, if we're able to conceive kids, if they come out, okay, don't need 24 seven care. 
I'd like to do another expedition in 1990, 10 years from 1980, you know, 10 years down the line. Because, you know, if the kids were going to come out the first five years, they would be old enough to either walk if they wanted to or ride along in a support van when I do another expedition. So that's what happened. The uh, uh, kids came out fine. And in 1990, uh, uh, I had another expedition. And the only thing that had changed is, you know, I had emotionally and emotionally, uh, physically, not geographically, had separated, you know, uh, from my uh, first wife. Or she had, basically it was, she had separated herself from me. So, yeah. So my son finished the trail in 2000, which was really neat. Uh, at what age but, did he finish? Uh, I think he was 14 at the time. <laughs> 14. And 15. And I don't know whether that was a blessing or a curse for a while, because it's hard enough for a 20-something or 30-something or 40-something to make the transition back to the real world. Yeah. For a younger person, they have to go, you know, all my kids were public school educated. He had to go back to, you know, high school and uh, having an experience like that, the group that he was hiked most of the trail with was older, you know, but it was a beautiful group. And to go from uh, expedition experience to real life, that's, that's a hard transition. Mm. It's a hard transition. And, and fortunately and it turned out okay, but. It, w it was, you know, there was times when I said, was this a blessing or a curse? No, that's a fair comment. Um, and, and what year was that? And was that, that was a full through hike with one of these? Yeah. 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 Okay. So the three expeditions, college expeditions were 1975, 77, and 80. In 1990, I had another expedition. And this was different because it had people of all ages in it, all ages, retired people working people and some younger people that had a documentary it wasn't a solicited documentary but someone did a documentary on that called circle of dreams which is incredibly powerful powerful documentary it's probably a documentary that most people will not be seeing because by that point in time i was persona non grata with the people who control the information so, uh, but that's a shame because it's a beautiful called Circle of Dreams. Mm -hmm. So I had a 1990 expedition, a 95 expedition, 2000, 2005, and 2010. So I had five expeditions over the space of uh, 20 years, basically once every five years, 90, 95, 2000, 2005, and 2010. And then I had two more expeditions after that, 2015 and 2017. That was my last group. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the Christian Ultra podcast again. And I hope you enjoyed my talk with Warren as much as I did. I'm constantly learning things about the Appalachian Trail and there's no better teacher than Warren himself. Uh, guys, if you find any value in my podcasting, please go and visit my website, www.christianultra.com. That's Christian spelt with a K. 
and uh, show some love by making a contribution to my GoFundMe. So I have my own record attempt on the Appalachian Trail 2021. And uh, also anyone interested in online run coaching, check out my online run coaching services there. So until next week when uh, I'll be back with part two of Warren's episode, please uh, enjoy your time whether it be running, uh, hiking, or whatever it is you do. See you next week, guys.